Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Folks, we're lucky enough to be speaking today with an amazing woman who has written a totally fascinating story of her life. It's called Where is Home? And we're going to talk mostly today about her experiences in what we might call the glamour days of air travel, when it became a little more common for the everyday person to do it and when uh, it was a much different world aboard a plane. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Aneros Valenci. Hello. Hello. And I need to say, hoffentlich du willst deine ausgezeichnet Urlaub gehabt uh, auf deine Anflugen. Uh, no, I didn't mean to say Urlaub. I meant to say interview. I took a year of German, yeah. and I've never gotten to use it. So there you go. Well, we can practice. Okay, excellent, excellent. Everything was a little more humane, I think. Now it's so boom, 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 gets ready, finished, take away, bring it down, put it down. You know, people were nice in the in coach, but in first class, ever so often, you know, they drink more, they, they don't pay extra, it's all in a ticket, what they get. And if they drink more, then they get a little more adventurous, I would say, <laughs> and they're trying to pick up a girl, but... Uh, or they're trying to, you know, trying to pinch you, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like this. But then, you know, just live with that and you just turn around and say, excuse me, uh, but we never even accepted an invitation for a layover or something with the passengers. It was against the rules to start with. I understand. <laughs> I've heard stories that they used to actually make sure that your weight was, was in oh, check. Yes. yes, 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 yes. How did we, they do that? Did they actually weigh you while you were on, on the job? Every so often, yeah, they uh, weigh you, and if you, everybody according to your height and everything, they had the maximum weight. And if you reached it, or a little over, you were off schedule, you didn't get paid, you had to get back to the way, and maybe a little less than you were allowed, per se, which is interesting, a word to say, allowed. And then we could come back. So we all watched what we were eating and we didn't want to be laid off, you know, and it looks, makes the person look more attractive if the weight suits your height. And there was, imagine five girls in a one bedroom apartment. (laughs) Actually, I'm trying to imagine if I was living in an apartment in that building and there were five stewardesses living together, it would probably be the answer to a dream uh, back then. Due to some violent content, Parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North and South American, all ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for...
Good evening. It is Wednesday, August 10th, 2016, episode 250. We done 250 of these things? Are you kidding me? I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on the Tom Gully Show, we're going to take you back to the days when flying in an airplane was cool and the stewardesses were glamorous and stylish, almost rock stars. That's because we're going to speak to Anaros Valenci, a woman whose amazing life story is chronicled in her book, Where is Home? We'll learn how they dressed, how the stewardesses were treated by the passengers and the airlines, how different airline cuisine was back then, and what it was like to fly for TWA all over the U.S. and Europe. You can get Where is Home by Anaros Valenci at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and a number of other places. But tonight, you'll learn what it was like to fly the friendly skies in the most glamorous days of old. Tonight, on The Tom Gully Show. madman or a fool would intentionally set fire to one of our forests or woodlands. Yet 90% of our forest fires are started by people. Most of these man-caused fires are due to plain carelessness. A campfire left smoldering, a lighted match thrown from a car window, a cigarette not extinguished. In less troubled times, the waste due to forest fires would be tragic. In these dangerous times, it can be disastrous. Forest fires destroy natural resources we need to keep our country strong. They impede the production and transportation of critical defense supplies, interfere with military training, and may destroy military installations. Join in the fight against carelessness. Crush out cigarettes, cigar, and pipe ashes. Break matches in two after using. Drown all campfires, then stir and drown again. Find out the law before using a fire. One moment of carelessness can destroy national beauty and wealth that can never be replaced. Forest fires are a shameful waste because they can be prevented. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. You're listening to the Tom Gully Show. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst-quenching soft drinks, fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. Folks, we're lucky enough to be speaking today with an amazing woman who has written a totally fascinating story of her life. It's called Where is Home? And we're going to talk mostly today about her experiences in what we might call the glamour days of air travel, when it became a little more common for the everyday person to do it and when uh, it was a much different world aboard a plane. Uh, please welcome to the show, Aneros Valenci. Hello. Hello. And I need to say, hoffentlich du willst deine ausgezeichnet Urlaub gehabt uh, auf deine Anflugen. Uh, no, I didn't mean to say Urlaub. I meant to say interview. I took a year of German, yeah. and I've never gotten to use it. So there you go. Well, we can practice. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, your book is really fascinating. And before you even got into traveling by air and being a stewardess, you had an amazing life, born in Germany, lived during World War II, uh, actually graduated as an RN, a nurse, before you even 
got the opportunity to begin uh, travel by air. And you got that position, if I'm not mistaken, uh, while living in London. A private company hired you, correct? That's right, with standard telephone cables. Part it's a subsidiary of IT&T International Telephone Telegraph in New York. Yes, and uh, this wasn't something. This wasn't something you actually actively sought out, is it? I mean, you did, you weren't you know planning on being a stewardess. Uh, someone came to you and asked you if you would like to do it. Well, I've met these people, and um, I took care of his, his wife. Actually, she was sick, uh, and uh, since I was a nurse prior. And so apparently they liked that I was competent enough and I just bought the small company plane and they needed a flight attendant or host a stewardess. So they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I grabbed this opportunity, even though I didn't know much. So the captain trained me. <laughs> Amazing. And I just loved it. It's just that uh, living in London, there's no future, you know. So I was there with them on the plane three and a half years. Okay, and then eventually you were hired by TWA. That's right, and I wanted to see more of the world. And, uh, of course, as people know, in the 60s, we didn't have just money to go and travel. And I was figuring out, where do I go? And uh, I figured America would be great. So I uh, liked the uniform the girls wore and everything. I went to TWA, and, uh, and they interviewed me, and I was hired as trainee in Kansas City for flight attendant. And it what, was in 1966. Yeah, well, what was that What was that training like uh, back in the day? Oh, well, I don't know what it's like now, but if you go in these classes, there's six weeks, and you have to learn everything about the plane, all mechanical stuff, in and out, you name it, from service to what kind of plane it is, how many passengers, where, I mean, it was really a little difficult, you know, but we made it. And the only problem was we started off our class only alone, 38 or something, and every day someone was missing. And it was very scary. Nobody knew why. And uh, they let them go, but they did it in such a way. They did it while we were in class, and the girls just disappeared. And uh, they probably, you see, we had to walk around every day from 8.30 in the morning till 3 with our ID badge on, and it was on the administration floor. And if they didn't like something about the girls, they just, you know, let them go. Got a one-way ticket, goodbye. But we were so scared because we didn't know what happened. Right, right. Well, uh, most of us, I think, nowadays have a, a vision in our head from movies like Catch Me If You Can and, and movies of the day that air travel at this time was somewhat glamorous. It was it was a different uh, experience than it is now. Uh, what was, for instance, your uniform like compared to uh, what they I wear? I loved the uniform because it was sort of a little dubbed green. It was lovely. At least you could see that there was a flight attendant, the TWA. The color was different from the passengers, especially at the airport, on the plane. And now you don't even know who's what. Everybody's wearing whatever. And uh, so we, we were visual, and I loved it. The color was nice. Our uniform was cut in a lovely, only skirts, no pants, which made you always look elegant, and uh, kind of skin color pantyhose, and, and black uh, shoes with about two and a half inch heel. We all had to look the same. We were like cookie cutters. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And you had those hats. <laughs> but I loved it. And uh, the service, what I really loved was the first class service. It was very, very elegant, like a fancy restaurant. 
with uh, uh, real china, silver, cutlery, glass glasses, you know, everything was just beautifully served and cooked in the galley and from roast beef, whatever way people wanted, two types, one more medium rare and one more well done. And I mean, we really we had a lot of work in the galley, but it was nice. You know, people loved it and appreciated it. Even second class, a coach was not so bad. Everyone had also silver with the tray. It was really, I enjoyed it. It was nice. Were the uh, coach seats roomier than they are now? Yes, they were a little roomy. I'm not that much really, but it, bit by bit they cut down a little space for the knees and they don't fit anymore. There was more, a little more. Well, the biggest plane was the 707 then, and that's what we flew. And uh, the domestic girls they were so envious. We were in a big plane, 707. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, you had to wear those, I love the hats that you guys wore back then. They were kind of a pillbox, but not exactly, and they just looked so stylish. What other kinds of accessories did you have to wear? Well, we actually had two hats. This was our winter hat. Uh, the summer hat was, uh, it was a little bit like a cap. You know, it uh, was a little <clears throat> different. And the summer uniform was different too. The, the jacket was like a bolero. <clears throat> and uh, the winter one was like, you see the pictures with a tailored jacket, like a suit jacket, you know. And what else? You had to wear gloves. Uh, in summer, we wore white gloves. <clears throat> and in the winter, black gloves. So wow. it's mandatory. <laughs> well, so we, and also scarves, because we didn't have the, those uh, those access so on it on the tunnels, you know, in the airport. We had to walk over the tarmac to the plane, or on a local bus or something, whatever they had, depending where the plane was uh, was located. And uh, if it was windy, the wind could blow your head away. So we had to put the tie down our head in the summer with a white scarf. In the winter with a black one. Okay. Well, uh, nowadays, it seems like the airlines are trying to take as many frills and extras away in order to remain profitable. Uh, yeah. But the service that you guys provided, uh, at least, you know, what we imagine in our minds, was really, you know, several cuts above what what we experience today. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It uh, everything was a little more humane, I think. Now it's so boom, 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 gets ready, finished, take away, bring it down, put it down, you know. And the rushing, it is. I don't know. I don't like this rushing. So when I'm on a plane now, and there's these big with two aisles, you know, they're rushing on up, rushing down, and you don't even see someone. If you need somebody, there, oh, there's not enough personnel. It is like a, I don't know, like get over with. I don't like it. And I don't like the uniforms nowadays, no matter what airline. One with pants, one with skirts, one this, one that, one a jacket, one not. No, we had to take our jackets off on the flight. and We had a, a smock, a blue and white stripes. It was very, a nice smock uh, to protect our blouse and our skirt. And when you walk down the aisle, the people knew right away who is a flight attendant and who isn't. And, you know, we were visible and it looked nice. Right. Well, uh, even today, stewardesses are uh, propositioned all the time by passengers who maybe have had too many drinks or maybe they're just overly <laughs> friendly. Uh, did, did you have to contend with that while you were in the air? Well, I would say 
people were nice in the in coach, but in first class, ever so often, you know, they drink more. They they don't pay extra. It's all in a ticket what they get. And if they drink more, then they get a little more adventurous, I would say. <laughs> and they're trying to pick up a girl, but uh, or they're trying to you know trying to pinch you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuff like this. But then, you know, just live with it and you just turn around and say, excuse me, uh, but we never even accepted an invitation for a layover or something with the passengers. It was against the rules to start with. And who wants to get fired for something silly like that, right? Right, right. Well, and, uh, you know, for a long time in this country, people took the train. I mean, there was famous trains that would go from New York to L.A. or Chicago to L.A. and uh, in, in the era that you were flying, it was when flying was starting to become really glamorous, really exciting. And, uh, uh, but it was still something that you, you had to have a little bit of money to do it. Uh, did you meet celebrities while you were, you were in the air? Well, very few. And if we had one, uh, we were supposed not to talk about it, but keep it quiet that people don't start coming and wanted to take a look in first class and see, because they would usually would be in first class. So it's, uh, I think it's, uh, we make, uh, sometimes in a, in a coach, we didn't even know that there was somebody up in the front because they wanted to be incognito. They didn't want everyone to know. We, we appreciate people's um, person, uh, privacy, you know. And um, this, it was nowadays, everybody's hushing. Oh, what we have, look who we have, who we have. And then it travels to the whole plane and people get curious, you know. Mm-hmm. So we respected people. That's what they wanted. And they were promised that we just let them travel as a regular person and don't publicize us afterwards. Then we would say and talk about it. Did you see? Did you see this? Did you see that? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, I I hesitate to even ask this question because just, you know, having gone over your book, you seem like a relatively fearless person to me uh, and, and unafraid of a challenge. But uh, the thing I wonder even about stewardesses today and even more so uh, in your era, is how comfortable were you, were you being on a plane all the time? I, 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 to this day, marvel at people that fly all the time because, you know, many people have great anxiety about flying. And you guys are on the plane every day as your job. Was that anything that gave you pause or, or worried you at all? No, um, I can only judge for myself. Whenever I would go on a plane, I would smell the, the scent of the plane. Oh, that was like home away from home. You know, I felt at home. I took it all in. We had to check everything first. We walked through the cabin. We check out if the drinks are secure, if everything is functioning, if the bathrooms are clean. You know, we just walk through it and check and check and see. And for me, it was good. I mean, I loved it and uh, I felt really good. And even while we're flying, you don't think about anything. You watch for uh, the, um, for um, maybe maybe bad weather or something like this and you calm down the passengers. And since I was a nurse, it was at a, at a good thing uh, then that was appreciated because you always need somebody who needles something about medicine being on a plane because a person may faint or a person will stumble and hurt her foot or, you know, they, so I felt at home. I could, uh, you know, I had occasions where I had to pitch in a little bit, but uh, it was was so familiar to me, so I didn't panic or have an anxiety attack. So you get pretty much used to, if you're flying through bad weather or whatever, it's just part of the job and you, you don't worry right. about it. 
Well, yes, because as soon as uh, the plane takes off and we can, already you can walk in the aisles, we would take off our heels and we had flats. That is, uh, you're firmer on the floor. You know, you can't uh, wobble with your heels and uh, fall into someone. So that was good. You feel secure. And um, I mean, I perfectly was, I loved going on my plane and going to places and take care of the passengers because I was so used to taking care of people. So for me, it was, it was second nature pretty much. When you're in a job like that, you have to deal with all kinds of people, you know, happy people, sad people, you know, uh, talkative people, quiet people. Uh, did you have the skills to do that from your nursing background or from something else in your life? Or was this something that you kind of learned by being a stewardess? Uh, I learned this. Well, we have a big family of five children and gone through a lot in my life. So you learn and being a nurse helps also. I uh, was comfortable in any situation. So when people were not like them nowadays, now they're rowdy and uh, you name it, uh, unacceptable. We did not have it then. People were more civil. Well, you guys were kind of like almost... Uh... I don't want to say playboy bunnies, but you were, you were, uh, you were glamorous. You were, you were thought of a, wow, she's a stewardess. Uh, do you get shocked by the way people dress on a plane? Because I've seen pictures and, and back when people got dressed up to go traveling on a plane. That's right. And because for them it's something special, as we said before, it was more glamorous. It's more, not everyone could fly and uh, was looked upon as something special. We didn't just hop on and off, so um, I appreciated that. And, you know, we treated people just civil. We treated everybody as a nice person and as a, a special person. And we really did have outbreaks. At least I hadn't any. I mean, so severe, people may be a little unfriendly. Suddenly they don't get something right away. So, you know, there are ways. We go through uh, TWA training. We had some training in that as well, like playing, play out uh, situations. So they make sure they made sure we all are familiar with knowing how to t talk to a passenger, how to treat a passenger, how to look at situation or get help from maybe uh, from the cockpit, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was all organized. It was was really good. I loved it. Now, how was it special being a stewardess back in those days? Ah, the special comes in living in New York because. <laughs> The men in New York, the, we were looked upon as like models or whatever. Yeah. Because we all were slim. We were attractively dressed up. We had to, had to wear little makeup. GWA taught us all this. That's what we had to look like. We had the hair no longer than the, um, than the shoulder and nicely styled or shorter. No longer hair. No ponytails. None of that. And then we all had to wear kind of a certain, not too bright, right, uh, a red nail polish. We, as I said, my hair had a certain length. So we were, you know, we were a commodity for them, for the American men here in New York. <laughs> they oh, loved going out with us and they treated us beautifully, very special. They had uh, black limo cars per se they picked us up i mean and i loved it i figured why not this is the life <laughs> oh yeah yeah well uh you know i understand i've heard stories that they used to actually make sure that your weight was was in oh, check yes. yes 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 how did we, they do that did they actually weigh you while yes. you were on, on the job 
ever so often, yeah, they uh, weigh you, and if you, everybody according to your height and everything, they had the maximum weight. And if you reached it, or a little over, you were off schedule, you didn't get paid, you had to get back to the way, and maybe a little less than you were allowed per se, which is interesting, a word to say, allowed. And then we could come back. So we all watched what we were eating, and we didn't want to be laid off, you know, and it looks makes a person look more attractive, if the weight suits your height, and everything else. Nowadays, I think everything goes. <laughs> well, you you guys were the face of the company, pretty much. I mean, that, that you were the uh, you know the representative, and they took took great pains to make sure that you were uh, looking and acting in a certain way all the time. Correct. Correct. And I looked at such a way. I felt actually proud representing TWA because we all really looked it, and the uniform was so elegant, and uh, there was just. I, I don't know. I can do no more than praise it. It was for me. It was really beautiful, and all the girls you could see, uh, we walked. Not we we could not slumped over and slushed around. We walked, and uh, everybody was seemed to be proud. Right. It was, well, it was you. Really Elegance, the perfect word for it. It it it's a, it was a much more refined uh, way to travel. The. European cities you went to, did that have anything to do? How many languages do you speak? Well, uh, of course, German and uh, English I'd learned, and then some French and some Spanish. Okay, so you were, you were well-suited uh, to be traveling uh, to Europe. Uh, what, what cities did you fly to? It was limited, not too many according to uh, the airlines go nowadays. We were uh, Paris, Frankfurt... Um, right, London um, once a month to Greece and then of course we had flights combined from for instance uh, uh, New York to London to, to Chicago and back to wherever in Europe so you know the flights would go back and forth and we had mostly uh, the hub was like uh, London Paris, Frankfurt there was a lot, a lot, a lot and people were going to visit these places a lot and uh, uh, so and then you know back and forth into the country and then back out. Uh, nowadays, uh, the airlines have, have much more of a choice for people. And also, since we were juniors, um, the new girls, we didn't get much of uh, Greece. More of the senior girls would take Greece. <laughs> they would <laughs> right. Italy occasionally. So they would snatch this up. But it didn't make any difference to me because I loved, anyway, for me it was fantastic, especially Paris. I was always dreaming when I get there uh, on the Champs-Élysées, a little table, and you have a, a nice spaghetti sandwich with pate and fresh lemon, squeezed lemon juice. I was dreaming of that. I knew when I get to Paris. <laughs> okay. And shopping, of course. You know, we did shopping. And... Uh, and the girls were always jealous. I said, I won't even ask anymore where you got this <laughs> because, you know, I would <laughs> snatch up something. So there's a lot of glamour in it, but also tiring and on, but I didn't look at it as tiring. And I just said beautifully to the different shine, uh, times all the time. I had no problem. Well, and given all of the requirements upon you and the fact that you guys were pretty much, you know, in the public's eye, the image of the airline, uh, it's surprising to me that the pay was not particularly high back then. No, it wasn't. I mean, well, what can you say? 
that's the way it was. I mean, nobody right. could join it. But, you know, we made it, you know, you just watch the money you have and, and you just uh, make sure it lasts. And uh, people didn't have used the credit cards as everyone does nowadays. And you, I don't think they even existed credit cards. No, they didn't in the 60s. No, there's a diner's club was about it, you know, and they'd bring out that big giant metal thing and crack, crack, right in front of you and take out the paper. And sometimes they'd have to call the, the, the bank and, and, yeah. uh, whatnot, but, um, well, we was, just watched what money we had and to spend, you know, we were, people just lived that, that way and they knew that they can only spend what they have. So they didn't just go crazy and then, you know, spend, and, and spend, sometimes, spend. The girls, even today, uh, will be roommates because they're gone so much that you could have several girls be roommates and share an apartment together. Well, as I said, we had a hard time coming to New York. And as it was then, uh, the moment we were graduated and they gave us a ticket to wherever our destination was, and then you went on our own. They couldn't care less if you find a room to place or an apartment or what to do. You just, that's it, goodbye. You're, you're in New York, off to New York. And then you, you're on your own. So one of my friends who came with me to New York, uh, she knew a girl from a friend. She called her when we got to New York. And they, fortunately, they had the three already in a one-bedroom apartment. And they had a couple of cots. So they let us stay there till we were able to do something else. And there was, imagine, five girls in a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> Actually, I'm trying to imagine if I was living in an apartment in that building and there were five stewardesses living together, it would probably be the answer to a dream uh, back then. Uh, but, but the girls uh, were gone. You know, they come and go. Was, you never knew who is where when. And uh, so, that, that's even, that's so even better, it, actually. We made it work. You know, it, we just made it work. And then I got myself, uh, I found a studio, a beautiful studio. And one of my friends, we shared it. So she, she lived in another apartment. She was going to leave it. So the two of us, and there was a nice big studio in New York. It was unusually beautifully set up. And we shared this and hardly ever see each other. But she was domestic, but still, you know, she was gone, I was gone, so it worked beautifully. Do you fly often now? Uh, Not too much now. Well, I have my family here now, you know, my children, my grandchildren, so I don't go that much. But if I go, I'm fascinated by the flight personnel. I watch them and I watch them and would see in the plane, I walk in, I said, ah, mm, the smell. Yeah. <laughs> specific, like in a new car, you you know you like that or you don't. But I love this, the scent, the smell from coming onto a plane. This is, and walking in, I said, oh, I'm at home. <laughs> exactly. Now, do you, uh, do you uh, enjoy flying now? Is it is it less of an experience? I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that the uh, air air line food was never great, uh, at least when I started flying, but now they don't even offer it anymore. It used to be if the flight was over two hours or whatever, you were automatically going to get a meal, and uh, now that's, that's not the case anymore. It seems like a lot of the, the little you know graces, if you will, have been removed from flying. Yeah, you're lucky if you get a little bag of peanuts. It's it's no longer it's like a, it's like hopping on a bus and going somewhere. It's no more fancy. It's no more memorable per se. You just go on a plane and you know in whatever hours you're going to be where, and that's pretty much it. It's 
it's not an experience, nothing unusual. It's just a way of transportation, according well, the, to me. The, what, the thing that I object to the most of, about flying now isn't probably the, the flight itself. It's the pre-boarding experience. And I don't, oh. mind, going, I don't mind going through security, but were the, were the um, gates a little nicer back then when it was time to wait? And was it a little easier to just get on the plane? It seems like it's, a, it's kind of a cattle call now. Well, people had to be there in time because there were not these these ramps like here in New York. People, depending where the plane was uh, was uh, parked, you would to take either a bus to take you there, or they guided people over there. One of the hostesses would walk them to the plane. So, like in smaller, small, like if you go to an island and you know everybody has to walk to the plane or, or something. But um, I don't know. It's uh, not as many people were traveling as nowadays because now the tra- the planes are humongous. That didn't exist then, and so fewer people traveled. But it was more civilized, I think, because you didn't have to put 500 people onto a plane and then uh, how long how long it takes you, you know, to call them all and to board. So it wasn't like that. So it, well, were, it was then nicer. What What were some of your observations? I'm very interested in you know the fact that you you were born in Germany, what later became East Germany. I won't bore you with my knowledge of the 1974 Olympic champion East German soccer team, but uh, <laughs> you you came from that part of the world. You, you became a nurse, lived in London a little bit. But what was your first take? or your first sort of observations regarding America and Americans compared to the you know life that you lived in Europe? Oh, America was totally amazing. When I, I came, I visited in 1964, and I'm actually still working on my next book. We're publishing it's my life here in America, as I've seen it through, uh, through the eyes of an immigrant. It's... Uh, this tells more stories how I saw it and what happened, especially as far back as 1964. I thought I'm landed on Mars or someplace. It was not, uh, didn't seem a hu- uh, human country. Uh-huh. People were different. Everything was different. Everything was big. The cars were huge. They had those wings, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, everything, the newspapers were huge. And I keep thinking, how can anybody read so much newspaper? That's a weekly, the, the weekend newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the stores, especially Kansas City, containers and jars were huge. I don't know if they still are that big. The shopping carts, we didn't have any then. They were also, you know, in, the, in New York, they're normal size. But if you get out of the city and uh, people shop, they have huge shopping carts. So everything was tremendous. It was like, oh, my God, I feel like Alice in Wonderland. So it's, I was totally taken by it. What I really resented was wherever you go, you pay tax, tax, tax. Even the bridges you pay going over the bridge, you pay here. I felt like there's somebody standing and robbing in every corner. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the listeners right now would agree with you even today. Uh, we, we get taxed for just about everything. Um, but American people, I mean, did you, did you notice that they were different in any way than I've heard from a lot of people from Europe that, that American people are, are friendly, but almost, uh, disturbingly. So there's, there's a, a certain amount of, uh, 
uh, you know, sort of quiet dignity in Europe that you would never think if you saw someone wearing a certain thing to come up and, and say, hey, that looks beautiful. Uh, and, and here in America, we're a little less restrained in that way. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right, actually, come to think. In Europe, they honestly know that person. Nobody would say, oh, you look beautiful, or that's nice. Where people just do their, go through the days, they do their work, they do their job. On smaller communities, you don't see anybody in the streets around lunchtime because they either go home, the women, they would cook lunch for them, or they go out, and then people are back to work. And here, I always wonder in New York, who is working when? The city is almost filled with people, everybody walking here and there and there and there. No, stores were closed over lunchtime and then they closed earlier. So life was like a story. Like when we look at the story now, it says, oh, wow, did it really exist? It's, it's totally different. But here in America, there were people on the go all day long when I was visiting here. I was here oh, yeah. at the time of... Yeah, you know, and you you, you in in Europe, I mean, there's a lot of Americans that are completely unaware of the fact that in Europe, people take six weeks of vacation. Yeah, aren't they lucky? (laughs) Yeah, aren't they lucky? And and most Americans do not, they're not even aware of this. And when I tell them that, they they do not believe me. And it's like, no, they they get six whole weeks of vacation uh, during the summer normally. And uh, it's uh, it is a different uh, different thing here. Everybody seems but to be also so. Did, yeah, people didn't get here. We have so many holidays in between. You know, for every little something, there's a holiday for this and uh, this saint and that person and this person, and this president. We have all these. If you add up all these days, people get off during the year, and you would probably get close to this time and. Uh, if you, well, some people do get four weeks vacation here in America. I never got more than two, so I was the unlucky one. <laughs> but many people, depending on your position, they get four weeks. Right. And well, just they get the whole summer, you know. And uh, so, but this is isolated cases in Germany. Everybody would get six weeks. Now, are there any customs or habits that we have here in the United States that you you're still amazed by to this day? Custom, let me see. Well, as I said, we, people get every, for every little thing, we get a holiday. Uh, we have so many international people, and we are trying to please everybody. That amazes me. You cannot accommodate everybody, you know, and make it a special day. I mean, if they do it on their own, in their own communities, one thing, but doesn't don't make the country uh, understand this and uh, give in, you know? Right, so, right, right. So, uh, otherwise, I would say um, America is... Uh, well, one gets so used to it that you don't think anything special about it anymore. If, you know, I've been here so long. In Europe, it's a little more uh, disciplined, I would right. say. It's people are not as uh, as noisy as here running around and doing. We are more um, used to be. Now, I don't know if it's probably changing. The whole world is changing. and um, But I would say more restrained in a way, many people. It seems to me that when I've been to Europe and certainly people that I talk to, uh, the Europeans have a much higher value for craftsmanship. Oh, and that's not, yes, that's, you're that's, right. that's not just, I mean, here in the United States, we have craftsmen just as skilled as anywhere else, but that's only for the very highest end people. Whereas in, in Europe, 
it seems like everything has an element of pride and craftsmanship in it. Uh, would you find that to be true? In many ways, as I said, they're changing. But what I like in in Germany, some places we have flower boxes on the outside of the windows. Uh, the streets get swept and cleaned. It's it's um, if you walk through the streets, even the cities, it looks a bit more um, like grayish co uh, color houses. You know, it's kind of these what do you call this uh, like shindle type of thing. Gray, but it looks clean. It looks clean, and people. They walk with a purpose. They don't just rushing around. And uh, I don't know. It's it's difficult to explain. It's just something you were used to in there. So everybody did it. You know, we just, especially Germans, we just followed rules. We followed what had to be done. And uh, it was just that's how I grew up. That's why I found America. Wow. You know, even training the the apartments we had, everything was so casual. And I thought, oh my God. But my mm -hmm. friends would. How could you do this? Sit you like this, and even if you don't have shoes on, could put your feet on the couch. Oh my God, you can do that! You know, <laughs> yeah. everything was uh, very different. And here, I felt relaxed in a way. I thought, oh, let's live it up. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Americans are like trying to eat life as fast as they can at all times. You know, we want to do big things. We want to, you know, tackle that big project today, and it can't take two days. Got to be one day. And it seems like that uh, Europeans are enjoying the journey just a little bit more than we are sometimes. Well, I think you're right in a point. But they just, they, well, if you're in, in Europe, all the countries are close to each other, you know, and they're small and close to each other. So, but since most places, especially the northern part, is always cool, you don't really have summers like here. And so they escape to the sun, to the isles in the south, where the sun shines, where they can finally wear some summer clothes. But when I lived in England, uh, it was always cool. I was so used to wearing suits, you know, jacket and skirts, all year long, mm -hmm. practically. Very few, lighter weight for the summer and uh, warmer in the winter, in fall is in the cold in winter. But... Uh, you don't really need much summer, summer stuff. If there's a really beautiful day, you pull it out, but you still have to take a sweater. So uh, I didn't like there's always gray sky. Well, not always, a lot, really a lot. So in here, you know, it's, it's different. People dress differently, and now the fashion changes every year, so people get more casual or wear more little fancy now in the evening. Oh, there's one thing I have to say. In Germany, or... Um, what in the south in in um, what do you call it uh, Vienna in places like this we have beautiful opera houses and performances you would not see anyone in jeans here they go to the Met and they're wearing jeans oh you know <laughs> yeah thing up here they, I don't know they bring big shopping bags to schlep it in and they come the way they are and it's, it's, it's really so disturbing the last few years. It gets worse, and this is not nice. People should appreciate a nice performance, don't you think so? Oh, I definitely agree with you. It's I Believe me, I can wear a pair of jeans and a T-shirt with the best of them, but if I'm going to go to a, a play or a musical performance yeah. or uh, something of that nature, yeah, uh, certainly opera, you know? an opera house, I'm, gonna, I'm going to dress nicely. But even if a person wears some jeans, this is not the jeans. I'm talking about what they wear with it. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
jeans look okay. If you wear a nice shirt or maybe jacket with it or something, even if you don't put on a tie, just at least you look neat. And just like you rushed in from the street. <laughs> right. You decided to come there just three, three or four minutes beforehand uh, on your way back from a McDonald's somewhere. Uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I, I share the same uh, viewpoint. And especially appropriate to you is the fact that, and your story just fascinates me at, lev- at every level. If you'll f- allow me for saying so, the you, you seem like one of these exotic European women that you speak all these languages, you, you, you were an RN, then you're a travel agent, you come to a different country. I don't think other people understand how difficult it is to come to another country where they speak another language, totally different culture, and acclimate yourself to it. That is not an easy thing to do. And then you studied retail business and opened up your own fashion boutique. That's uh, right. That's right. Th- now, did you design your own clothing and, and whatnot, or did you just choose no, from but the... It, oh. I dealt with... Uh, it was not a huge store, but still I tried to find something different, a little different from the big stores. And this, like, boutique items, you know, you only carry a few pieces of it. And I always felt I wanted to make a person look nice, feel comfortable in whatever they're buying. Or a person would come in and says, I have an interview... What uh, what you suggest? I can show him something. What might be looking look on them? I wouldn't just want to sell it and say take this, take no. I wanted to make sure, or would say to order something else for them. So I like to be very accommodating, and I want people to look good. And I had nice kind of types of jewelry you don't see everywhere in New York from California. I had a nice line. I mean, I want people to look good. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted. I wanted them to look good and feel good. Right. Right. So what, uh, what's your, uh, next book schedule like when will America the beautiful be, uh, completed? Uh, should say beginning of the year. I'm still working on it. And then it has to be, of course, all this work that goes into <laughs> getting it published. No, I'm working right. on it right now. So where where can people uh, get, um, where is home? Where is that available? Uh, Amazon, so, so, uh, Barnes and Nobles, they can order to other bookstores, but on Amazon it's available right there. And this, this story is it's really, it's, I mean, it's, if people who read it, they really appreciate it because uh, I was encouraged, I took writing workshops and I was encouraged by our coach and teacher to uh, publish it because she would say America is, uh, has a misconception because Germany wasn't the best place to even so that you're from Germany. And uh, so I, as you saw, and then basically reporting on what I went through, uh, what, ha- what we experienced, that's all. It's not a war book. It's basically uh, like the many children still going through war activities nowadays and always will. But at least my point is I wanted to show, especially the young people, that you don't just give up and say, I didn't have this or that, so I don't have to do anything. I didn't have the money. I didn't have a father. I didn't have, you know, you have to make your own life. By the time you're 18, what was it? By the time you're 18, you're on your own. That's it. For better or worse, you make your life. You're out of home. You're with it. And I took every opportunity that presented itself. And I uh, didn't say, will I like it? Will I not? I tried it. 
and see, will I like it? And then I can always change, you know. I was very, very curious and I wanted to see. That's basically my uh, my way going to England first to see how the land was, how the people were, how I liked it. And then America was on my list, but it, I didn't come to stay. I came to see first if I liked it. And then I would have probably had plans, maybe I go to France. But uh, in the meantime, then I met my husband and he made my life. So that's how I, uh, I still here. Who did you root for when the United States played Germany in the last World Cup? Well, you know, I, uh, I'm afraid to say, I don't go say, oh, Germany, Germany, flag and stuff. I am... I consider myself a citizen of the world. I appreciate every country, everybody. And if they're good, love it. That's great. But I don't go and root for specifics. You know, I think they all deserve to win because they're all fantastic. Yeah, so. I, I agree with that. And I wish we had one. Uh, but Germany is the champion, so uh, hats off to them. No, I, um, I mean, you know, now in the Olympics, but I think every year... Every country, and even getting to the point that you are in, in the upper, um, how should I say, to, to play in those games, you have to be an athlete already. But I don't go by winning is the most important. I mean, everyone is a winner. Everyone is a winner. I don't think people uh, have a very good understanding of that, especially here in the United States where you know every single sport we expect a gold medal. And that's not yeah. that's not realistic. In addition to the fact, just to make it to the Olympics is a superhuman achievement. You are automatically one of the best athletes in the world, and uh, just being on an Olympic team is such an incredible honor. And here we just don't look at it that way, and it's a little bit sad, actually. What is sad that any of these athletes? I mean, there's only. One, uh, not everyone gets my gold. There's only one gold, one uh, silver, and the bronze. Um, uh, I mean, everyone, like you said, who gets there to participate, and then maybe for a few seconds they didn't get, and then people like, okay, well, you know, he doesn't have a medal. I think it's so sad and uh, unfair. Well, if they gave a medal for an autobiography, they would certainly give one to Where is Home. Uh, it's uh. an amazing, amazing book. You can get it on at Amazon, as uh, Ms. Valenci just said, and your Barnes & Noble. You can also go to anerosv.com. That's A-N-N-E-R-O-S-V.com. And uh, check out the blog and everything there. It's absolutely entertaining reading that will just whet your appetite uh, to read this amazing, amazing book. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Oh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Hello, 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 this is Karen from London here, just popping in to say that in the light of all the wondrous celebrations over here we've had our Royal Highness, our Jubilee, things were a bit down in the dumps, so thank heavens above we have the charming, lovely Tom Gully, he's the darling of the man, always there for a laugh to perk up my day. So why don't you go and check him out? 
at thetomgullyshow.com. like to thank the amazing Anna Rose Valenci for appearing on the show tonight. You can get her book, Where is Home, at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, you can also check out her website at annarosev.com. That's A-N-N-E-R-O-S-V.com. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. Um, we like it better if you subscribe by email and do that on the website, the Tom but you guys all know that I, I, you know, I get a lot of email now about this part of the show because this is the part of the show where I just talk because it's the end of the show and it gets boring doing it the same way every time. Oh, wait a sec. I got to stop down and tell you about our a hole of the week. A guy named Ravi Jayagov. I, I don't really know how to pronounce his last name. It's spelled J-A-Y-A-G-O-P-A-L. So I'll just take a shot here, and we'll go with uh, Jackoff Pal. Yeah, Jagoff Pal. Jackoff Pal. Yeah, that's it. Um, what had happened is I'm on some, uh, used to be, <laughs> on uh, some uh, groups on Facebook about podcasting, and it's getting real boring because they're all real beginner people, and they ask dumb questions like, I'm getting huge spikes once in a while on my show, and I'm concerned about it. I don't know where they're coming from. Well, it's easy to tell where they're coming from, and why would you be concerned that your show is spiking? You should be thrilled for whatever reason, most of you. I mean, it's, it's people that will say, how does my uh, podcast art look? And you'll look at it and say, well, it's okay. You're a lady that's got a show about wiener dogs and you got some sort of mouth issue going on in your photo. But, I mean, it looks okay. And then I type in the URL for it and it takes you to a page that doesn't exist. And that's what it is with most of these podcasters. They do one or two or 20 or 30 or 40 shows. 40 would be a lot for most of these people, but they'll do 10 shows and then stop and never do any more again. And so they want, you know, a cheering section for the few that they do do. And somebody was asking how they could tell who was coming to their site. Well, you guys know that, you know, I always know who comes to my site and it's because I use a variety of ways to track that. One of which is called stat counter. Go to statcounter.com. And it's no secret. I, I went, you know, 
when somebody gets in a scrape with me on the internet, I always check them out first. And if uh, Ravi Jackoff pal had done that, he would see that, you know, I, I publish who's been on my site if it's a jerk. Uh, and I publicize the people that are a-holes that I encounter on the internet. You know, if he was smart, he'd have done that, but he's not smart. So I suggest this person use Stat Counter to see who specifically is coming to their site. And Ravi Jackoff pal comes in and goes, I don't understand why are you using this Stat Counter and telling them to use this instead of Google Analytics. And I'm like, I never said anything about Google Analytics. Never mentioned it once. Didn't come up. Never recommended that somebody use it instead of. In fact, I recommend people use both. Told him that. He wouldn't let it go. Yes, but you're comparing apples to oranges, and it's... Here's your beef jerky treat. And uh, so I have to keep slapping him down and saying, look, you, not I, made up this whole thing about Google Analytics, and then you treated it like fact. Uh, you know, he's a troll. He's one of these guys that just thinks he's so important and so knowledgeable, and uh, he's not. He's just not. I'm sure you've run into a person from India in your life, whether they be a teacher or a business owner or, um, you know, whatever, and you can't tell them a damn thing. There's not a damn, no, you do not understand. I have the only truth in the world, and I am dispensing it to you, so you should take it. And I'm sitting here going, you know, if you people are so smart, why is your country a gigantic crap hole? I mean, it's a legendary crap hole. It's been a crap hole since like the beginning of time, and it's going to remain a crap hole. So some of you guys come over here and you study computers a little bit, and now you're geniuses. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. He starts calling me a troll, and I'm thinking... No, you waited in the middle of a conversation, accused me of something I never said, treated your creation like fact, and then held me responsible for it. You're a dumbass. You're the troll here, pal. You know, Google Analytics will have you into the... And that's the other thing. Dude, check out who you're talking to. I was uh, programming with uh, COBOL, APL, JCL... On 96 column cards before you were born. I kind of have created websites for people like, I don't know, Crest, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Cartoon Network. You think I don't know what Google Analytics is. And that's the other thing about these people. You know, you need to learn the basics. I will teach them to you. Hey, dude, I already know the basics. You know, I'm the basics plus. I want more information rather than less always. You, I guess, are in a different camp. But uh, let's just look at Mr. Jackoff, pal. Uh, that's spelled uh, J-A-Y-A-G-O-P-A-L. Um, he calls himself the coolest geek on the planet. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Robbie Jackoff, pal, but coolest geek on the planet? I guess he's never heard of Chris Hardwick. I guess he's never heard of Kevin Pereira. I guess he's never heard of Chris Gore. I guess he's never heard of the entire cast of, uh, you know, Big Bang Theory. 
Guess he's never heard of the nerdy girl that's on NCIS. I guess he's never heard of the nerdy girl that's on Criminal Mind. He isn't even in the top 10,000 coolest geeks on the planet. He doesn't make a dent. And by the way, I encourage you to go to any of his websites I'm about to mention here and look at the guy and see if you think he's the coolest geek on the planet. Um, just a little tip for Ravi Jackoff, pal. Um, gravy is not a beverage. Just a little tip for you there, pal. Uh, his podcast that he has at subscribeme.fm. I challenge any of you to go to it and listen to it and get through an entire episode. He's got like 39 whole episodes. Woo! 39. Whoa. And they're all like, this is episode 37. And it's part six. And it's how to maximize, create subscriber communities and market monetize management and of your content. And by that time, you're looking for a case of Red Bull just to make it through one minute of this dummy's crappy podcast. I mean, he has not learned that content is king. It doesn't matter how much you maximize your page. It doesn't matter how much you maximize your Facebook and Twitter followers. Uh, no, you want listeners. You want listeners. And to get listeners, it's more important to have something entertaining or informative or interesting than it is to do all of those things. I can, hope, I can host my podcast on a jump drive, and I would get more listens and downloads than this guy. Guaranteed. Let's just talk about what a great, brilliant mind this guy is. There's a little uh, function that HubSpot, by the way, I'm HubSpot certified. Uh, HubSpot offers called marketing.grader.com. You can actually grade your website there for its marketing effectiveness. And I did uh, Ravi Jackoff Pal the uh, favor of putting his three sites Incidentally, this guy's got a ton of old sites, a ton of old products. You know, he's one of these wonky guys that's turned, you know, telling people how to use the Internet and the podcasting and the communities into like a little cottage industry of people you never would want to speak to in real life. You know, you know what I'm talking about? These people that are just like an echo of a hundred other people that are saying the same exact thing, only more interestingly. Yeah. Um, ravijagopal.com that's r-a-v-i-j-a-y-a-g-o-p-a-l.com on marketing grader scored a massive 37 out of 100 his other site for his 39 podcast called subscribeme.fm scored a 54 out of 100 on the marketing grader Sorry, that one's because I fell asleep just thinking about him. Oh, and he's got these books, How to Subscribe Me, blah, 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 and they're pamphlets. They are pamphlets, and he's giving them away for free. What's that tell you? Must be a great book. Can't wait for the movie. He's got a site called Ravi's Rants, R-A-V-I-S-R-A-N-T-S.com. That one did an amazing 66 out of 100 on marketing greater which i guess would get you a d 
So the other two are failures. That one's a D. Oh, the Tom Gully show, 82. And I could make it higher if I wanted to optimize my main page. I don't want to. I got a bunch of stuff on there because, well, you guys know this. I, I don't care about that kind of stuff. I want the page. If you got to wait an extra two, three seconds, not, too bad. If you want the stuff, you'll wait. If you don't, see you later. Bye. I only want smart, eclectic people listening to this show. And if you're stupid or impatient, uh, pound sand. Go hang out with Ravi Jackoff, pal. All right. He, he, he tells everybody on his page, I am extremely successful. These people that pat themselves on the back, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he's so successful that he sends $100,000 a year back to India. What a great American philanthropist. Huh. I guess if you're doing business with him, just know he's sending part of it out of the country. Uh, we'll never see it here. I mean, we don't have any impoverished or needy people here. The money has to go back to the historic crap hole that we were talking about before. That cesspool, you know, that giant sewer that they put a flag on and call it India. Yeah, by the way, how's India doing in the Olympics? If smelling bad is a, you know, Olympic event, I'm sure they'll take the gold every year. Uh, but the guy is so self-important that you are screaming at me with these all caps. You are not to do this. You are not professional. You are to, here's the way you are to behave. Hey, dude, guess what? I'm not going to let Ravi Jackoff, pal, dictate to me the way I express myself anywhere on this earth. And if you can't handle all caps, maybe you need to go back to your little keyboard and figure out another digital app that nobody wants. Okay. Incidentally, Ravi Jackoff, pal, if you had done your homework on me, you would have hidden all your clients that you've got on a few of your websites. See, I know who those people are now, and I am at liberty to tell them what I think of you and share our interaction with each other. When I publish the screenshots of our interaction on my blog site, it's going to be pretty obvious what a douchebag this guy is. I mean, crystal clear. Here, let me tell you why you are wrong about the thing you never ever said. Do a sit-up. They're not poisonous. And again, why don't you go back and live in the crap hole? They need you back in the crap hole. See, we don't need the crap hole here. You know, that's why you want to be here. It's not a crap hole. Well, we didn't make it not a crap hole by behaving the way that you do. You self-important, laughably omniscient, totally amateur. I mean, incredibly amateur. You cannot use Google Analytics and StatCounter at the same time. It is forbidden because I said so. No, actually, they work uh, quite well in tandem together. Uh Google Analytics is a far more robust program that does a lot more things. But if you want specific user information, StatCounter beats it all day long. Oh, and dumbass, if you didn't notice, my site redirects to a blogger site. Do you think maybe I don't know about Google? Are you that stupid? Anyway, Ravi Jackoff, pal, is our a-hole of the week. Oh, and then he gets on Twitter and says, Twitter is for trolls. See, he's got all these rules in his head. No, actually, I use all the social media. And I put my website uh, and my uh, 
podcasts everywhere. I put them on archive.org. Oh, we'll get into that in a second. I put them on Podcast Pup, any of the aggregation sites that want them. Anywhere I can put it, I put it. I make sure it's on my guests' websites. Everywhere. You know why? Because I want listeners. I don't care about metrics and numbers. My metrics and numbers are going to take care of themselves. And by the way, those are quite robust as well. Incidentally, I can figure out how to total up how many feed hits and how many downloads I have by aggregating all of these sources. It's not that hard. No, you must not do that. You will have errors in your numbers. And Do you really think that going to a sponsor with those numbers for a podcast is going to impress anybody? Because Ravi, Jackoff Pal, if you had bothered to look into my LinkedIn page, I think you'd find I know a little bit more about advertising and sponsorships than you will ever, 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 ever in a hundred crap hole years know. No, I don't need any of those things to get what I want. Nope. Not a one. I can go to a sponsor and tell them I'm going to do a specific show about a topic that relates to their product. Then I can just show them my average feed hits if they want to see it. Okay, here's, here's how many email subscribers I have. There you go. But again, Ravi Jackoff, pal, doesn't know anything about my goals, my metrics, my ROI, anything else, but he's got all the answers. Tell you what, some of these people that you stereotype just live up to it. Stereotypes exist for a reason. And he's your usual, I am the one that is corrected. You have no say. And content's king, pal. If your show isn't entertaining or interesting, it might not as well be on the internet. Zip zero to zilch to nullin. Maximize it everywhere, every way you possibly can. All you're going to do is let a, a greater number of people know that you're a boring, misguided, overly concerned with technical attributes and processes and procedures that somebody else taught you. Oh, that's another thing. Jesus. Every single thing that was ever invented on the internet, he did it. I was the first one to coin this term. I was the first one to say this in public. I was the first one to ever come up with this kind of application. I was the first one. Yeah, sure you were. Sure you were. Get get uh, Bill Gates on the phone and we'll have a seance and bring Steve Jobs back so he can talk to Ravi Jackoff, pal. Jesus. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the oh, a-hole of the week, Ravi Jackoff, pal. Go to... R-A-V-I-J-A-Y-A-G-O-P-A-L dot com or subscribeme.fm. Go to subscribeme.fm because if you just click there and listen, I, I defy anybody to listen to more than, oh, 90 to 120 seconds of his podcast. Hello, this is Ravi Jacopel. I'm so cool. Oh, but I'm just kidding. I'm not so cool. You may like it, but if not, then we will move on. Today's podcast is podcast number 39, part 412, how to make Oprah give you content for the web. It's a methodology I have come up with. It's the Oprah way to make the content. Good Christ. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show on Facebook, too. The mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the, the show. Hey, by the way, the, sh the store is down right now. 
putting some new products in the store. So it's down right now. I've been getting emails about why can't I buy a shirt? Why can't I buy a hat? And I'm like, ah, Jesus. Because we're redoing the store. The store had so many products in it that it was getting cumbersome. And then because it has so many products in it, they would switch out various things and I'd have to redesign it. And I'm like, let's just take this down to the basics. But you'll be glad to know those of you that bought shower curtains and clocks. I think I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to make that happen. You can follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka if you want. But here's the thing we always ask. Just go to the TomGullyShow.com and there's an email subscription window in the right-hand corner near the top underneath the masthead. And if you subscribe that way, man, you'll just get an email anytime we do a podcast, HTML, right in your email box. And you can delete it or you can listen to it right there. You can save it for later. Do whatever you want. Um, you know, and if I increase my clout and cred ratings, you know, we're all going to go to the aces. I'm telling you. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later each Night, Jay Johnson, the great Jay Johnson, brings us in with the Truth Wagon, and each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. Go to hitmanbluesband.com or hitmanbluesband.net. I think if you go to the .net, you can, there's a deal where you get like eight free downloads, and from the Hitman Blues Band, that's, man, that is some monster good blues for nothing. Anyway, because that's how we roll. And we will see you next time.